All right, are you ready to dig in? Let's go to it. If you want to take out your sermon note sheets, if you're new with us, you'll find that inside your bulletin. Also, welcome everybody who's online this morning. We're in week number three in a series called The End Times, How the Story of Redemption Ends. And what we're doing in this series is we're studying six major events that the Bible says will take place in the end times surrounding the second coming of Christ. Let me once again remind you what those six events are in order. They are the rapture, the tribulation, the second coming, the millennium, the great white throne judgment, and the new heaven and new earth. Now, if you were with us last week, you'll remember we talked about the rapture in detail. And if you missed that, you can go to our website, you can go to our Facebook page, you can even go to our YouTube channel and listen to it and get caught up. Today and next week, we're going to talk about the reason for the rapture. Why does Jesus remove Christians from this world for a period of time before his second coming? Well, it has to do with what the Bible describes as a seven-year period of time prior to the second coming in which God is going to pour out his judgment on this world for sin. It's referred to biblically as the tribulation. And we're going to study it from the words of Jesus himself as recorded for us in Matthew's gospel, the 24th chapter. I'm going to begin with a question If you were to get a map of the world and put it out on the table, what place on earth would you call the center of the world? I think most of us, because we're Americans, we grew up in the American school system, and so what country was usually at the center of all our maps? The United States of America. And that's true for a lot of people around the world. If you grew up in England, most likely England was at the center of your map, or Spain, or Russia, or whatever you want to say. Well, it was no different with the Jews of Jesus' day. They believe that the temple in Jerusalem was the very center of the world. There was an ancient commentary on the Old Testament scriptures called the Midrash. And in it, there's a rabbinical writing that says this, like the navel is the center of the human body, the land of Israel is at the center of the world, Jerusalem is at the center of Israel, and the temple is at the center of Jerusalem. And so that's a rabbinical way of saying the very center of God's program for human history revolves around Israel, Jerusalem, and the temple. And you say, well, where did the Jews Jews get that type of thinking from? Well, they got it from the Old Testament scriptures. They teach us that very truth. Jerusalem is at the center of the world. Let me show you some of the things that the Old Testament tells us concerning Jerusalem. First, we learn it's the geographic center of the world biblically. We read this in Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5. This is what the sovereign Lord says. This is Jerusalem, which I have set in the, what is it? Center of the nations with countries all around here. So understand, God himself here in Ezekiel declares that Jerusalem is the geographic center of the world. Second, the Old Testament tells us that Jerusalem is the salvation center of the world spiritually. Psalm verse 14, verse 7 says this, Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. 
You say, what is Zion? It's another way of saying Jerusalem. And we know that salvation did indeed come out of Jerusalem because that's where Jesus was crucified for the sins of the world. Amen? Amen. That's why it's the salvation center of the world. Third, the Old Testament tells us that Jerusalem is the storm center of the world prophetically. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3 says this, on that day, you say, what day are we talking about? We're talking about the end times there. This is a prophecy about the end times. On that day, when all the nations of the earth are gathered against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move it will injure themselves. So understand the end time events although they will affect the entire world, will be centered around Jerusalem. The entire world in the end times is going to come against Israel to try and eliminate her from this world. But when Jesus comes back, he will defeat them at what the Bible calls the Battle of Armageddon, which takes place in the Valley of Megiddo in the land of Israel, right? And you can already see the storm clouds of this on the future horizon, as even right now and has been for a long time, Israel, Jerusalem, and what's called the Temple Mount is a huge source of contention in this world and in the Middle East. Some of you don't know this because the the liberal media does not tell you this. In fact, not much media tells you this, but do you understand the Middle East, Israel, is what 9-11 was about, It's what terrorism is about. It's what ISIS is about. It's why Iran wants to destroy Israel. They're fighting over that land. Why do they come after America? Because they see us as backing Israel. That's why. That's what all that's about. Well, while Jerusalem consumes a lot of the world's attention now, it will do so to even a greater degree in the tribulation. The whole end times events is going to revolve around it. By the way, and I've said this once in this series already, this is why it's so significant that Israel became a nation again on May 14th, 1948. Because from 70 AD to May 14th, 1948, there was no national nation of Israel. And for the end time events to come about, there has to be a national nation of Israel. And Israel became a nation again in 1948. So it's proof that we're getting closer to the return of Christ. One more truth the Old Testament teaches us about Jerusalem, and it's this. It's the glory center of the world ultimately. When Jesus comes back, he will set up his earthly kingdom in Jerusalem from where he will rule the nations. Look at Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Isaiah says, in the last days, doesn't get any clearer than that, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Do you understand? Jerusalem sits on a hill. It sits on a mountain. The temple mount sits on top of that hill. And Jesus will rule and reign from that place. And the the nations will stream to come see him and worship him when he does. So I want you to understand Jerusalem will be the glory center of the world ultimately. Now, here's why I took the time to share all that with you. Now you understand the mindset of Jesus's disciples in Matthew chapter 24. 
Let's go ahead and pick it up in verse 1. It says this, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Now, let me set the scene for you. It is now Wednesday evening. Palm Sunday was a couple days ago. It's Wednesday evening around sunset. On Thursday, Jesus is going to have the Last Supper with his disciples, and Friday he's going to hang on a cross. And so Jesus had just spent the day on Wednesday preaching in the temple, and they would have left the temple mount, and they would have went down into the Kidron Valley and back up onto what was called the Mount of Olives. And you see Jesus throughout the gospel spending a lot of time with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. And so as they're walking up the Mount of Olives, the disciples look back at the sunset and it's glistening off the temple, the, the stones, the gold overlay on the temple, and it is absolutely gorgeous. It's beautiful. I mean, if they had Facebook, pictures would be all over, right? <laughs> and they say, hey, Jesus, isn't that something? Would you, would you look at that? And that's when Jesus says something that shocks them. Look at verse 2. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. The disciple, these disciples, they're stunned. Because in their Jewish minds, they think that Jesus any day now is going to set up his earthly kingdom and rule and reign from the temple. And Jesus says, see this temple you look at now? Not one stone's going to be left. And this prophecy actually came true in 70 AD. The Romans came and totally destroyed the Jewish temple. In fact, they set it on fire first, and the fire was so hot that it melted all the gold, and it, it went down into the crevices of the stones. And so to get all the gold that melted down into the crevices, they removed every stone. This happened in 70 AD, just like Jesus said. In fact, Josephus, a, a Roman historian at the time, says this, so destroyed was the temple that you couldn't even tell it had been there in the first place. Well, with the disciples stunned at Jesus' words, we read this in verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? I mean, the disciples are confused. Remember, at this point, they don't understand that there would be a first and a second coming of his. They won't understand that until after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so they're like, Jesus, look, we've been expecting any day now that you're going to set up your earthly kingdom. But you say the temple's going to be destroyed. So when is that going to happen? I mean, what's going to be the sign? What's going to be the clue that we could look for? What's going to be the signal to know that it's time for you to set up your earthly kingdom? That's what they want to know because they're thoroughly confused right now. Well, Jesus gives them an answer. And what he does is he goes on to give them signs that will take place right before he sets up his earthly kingdom. The signs he describes here is what the rest of the Bible describes as the tribulation. Jesus is talking about the tribulation here in Matthew 24. You have to understand that. In fact, you'll get all of biblical prophecy confused if you don't start with Matthew 24. It's called the Olivet Discourse because it happens on the Mount of Olives. Now, how do we know that Jesus is referring to the tribulation in Matthew 24? Let me give you three proofs. Proof number one, 
it mirrors Revelation's account of the tribulation. When you read Revelation chapter 6 through 19, you're going to go, oh my gosh, it just falls right in order, Jesus' words with what we read in Revelation. We'll see that in just a few minutes. Second, it matches Daniel's prophecy about the tribulation in Daniel chapter 9. Let me take you there for a moment. Very important prophecy. Daniel, almost 500 years before Jesus was born, prophesied this concerning God's plan and him facilitating his plan of redemption through the nation of Israel. Daniel says this. Go to verse 24, verse chapter 9. Seventy-sevens. That translates 439 years. Now, that's not in the text. I put it in there to help you understand. Everybody see that? The interpretation there, the, the literal read is 70 times 7. We're talking about doing math, okay? So we're talking about 490 years are decreed for your people, talking about the people of Israel, the, Jew, the Jews, and your holy city, talking about Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you say, what is that saying? God is saying there are 490 more years needed for God to finish his work of redemption through the nation of Israel in this world. Now watch this, verse 25, no one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes. Who's that? That's Jesus. We're talking about the Messiah until the Messiah comes. There will be 70 sevens and 62 sevens. That's 483 years. So that's 7 times 7. That's 49. 62 times 7 is 434. That's a total of 483 years. Remember, in Daniel's day, the Jews, King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had come in, totally destroyed Jerusalem, took the Jews captive. Jerusalem is laying in ruins right now. And God says there's going to be a decree that's going to come forth that Jerusalem can be rebuilt. From the moment of that decree until the Messiah comes. By the way, that's Palm Sunday. That's another for some sermon for another time why I know that, but it's Palm Sunday. And by the way, there was a decree that went forward. And from that time to Palm Sunday was 483 years. Now watch this. Talking about Jerusalem, it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in a time of trouble. How many have ever read the book of Nehemiah? Okay. Remember when the decree went forward yeah. that they could start rebuilding the city and they started rebuilding the walls with a trowel in one hand and a sword in another, just like God said through the prophet Daniel. Now watch this. After, 62, after the 62 sevens. So we're talking about after the seven sevens and the 62 sevens. That's really what it's saying there. So after those 483 years, the anointed one, watch this, will be put to death and will have nothing. We're talking about the death of Jesus there. We're talking about the cross. That's how that would play out in history. Now, let's fast forward into the last seven years that we're missing. Remember, 483 years from the decree until the Messiah is put to death. Okay? It says this, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and sanctuary. We're now talking about the last seven years of God finishing his plan of redemption through the nation of Israel. Watch this. The end will come like a flood. 
War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He, who's that? The ruler of the people. We're talking about the Antichrist here. Will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. What's one seven? Seven years. So he's not only going to confirm, a, he's, this Antichrist, we'll talk more about him next week, is going to look like he's going to serve, solve the world's issues. It's going to look like he's going to bring peace because the world's going to be fighting with one another. And he makes a, a covenant even with the nation of Israel. Israel's in on this covenant. Okay, by the way, this is actually when you know you're in the tribulation. It's not the rapture, it's, it's, it's this. Now watch this. In the middle, three and a half years of the seven, right? He, talking about the Antichrist, will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Everybody see that? Until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. You're going to see Jesus in Matthew 24 specifically mention this abomination that causes desolation. And we're going to talk more about that next week when we study what Jesus says about the second half of the tribulation. We're only going to talk about the first half of the tribulation today. So let me help you understand what Daniel's prophesying in a nutshell. Look at this. So what he's saying is there are 490 years. That's the time left for God to finish his plan of redemption through Israel. He's using them as the tool that he's running his plan of redemption through. 483 years from the decree to build Jerusalem until the Messiah is put to death. That means there's one more seven-year period of time left. And that's the tribulation. Well, Israel will once again be at the center of God's plan to facilitate redemption through. Right now, Israel is on hold. Do you know who God's using in the world right now to, to, to bring forth his plan of salvation to the world? The church. And when the church is raptured, Israel will once again be front and center of God finishing his work of salvation, facilitating it through. Okay, more evidence of a pre-trib rapture, amen? Yes. Now, so, evidence number two that Jesus is talking about the tribulation here in Matthew 24 is Daniel's prophecy. It just, it just, it just matches it perfectly. Here's proof number three, the mention of birth pains. Jesus compares the tribulation to the labor pain a woman goes through before her baby is born. And you say, well, what's the point? The world will go through a very painful period of time right before he comes back again to set up his earthly kingdom. And so just like a woman, she could be pregnant for a long time, but when labor hits, it hits, right? And you get a contraction, and then they're this many minutes apart. And as you get closer to the baby, the contractions get more painful, and boom, 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 boom. It gets, it gets harder and harder, and then the baby's born. Jesus says that's how it's going to be in the tribulation. Things are going to go from, uh-oh, there's a contraction, to contractions hitting one after another. It's going to be an awful painful time on earth. Now, you still with me? I'm all right. With that in mind, you're awful, awful, awful quiet. Interesting stuff, right? With that in mind, let's see what Jesus has to say will happen during the first three and a half years of the tribulation in verses 4 through 14 here in Matthew 24. We're going to study in verses 15 through 28 the second half of the tribulation next week. You don't want to miss that. There are five signs that I want to share with you this morning that Jesus says will happen during the first half of the tribulation that will signal that his return is near. Here's sign number one. Worldwide deception. 
Number one, worldwide deception. Let's begin. Look at Jesus' answer to his disciples. Jesus, when is it going to happen? When are you going to set up your earthly kingdom? When is that age going to come? Well, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Now, I want you to notice for a moment that Jesus says many will come in my name. Now, now, ever since Jesus returned to heaven after his death and resurrection, there have been people throughout the centuries that have come along and tried to claim that they were the Messiah. In fact, even in our own modern time, there have been people claiming to be Jesus. People like a Korean man by the name of Sun, Sun Mung Moon, everybody ever heard of him? who led a religious movement called the Unification Church. He claimed to be Jesus. There was this guy in Miami uh, in, in a couple decades ago that, um, uh, who since passed away. His name was Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. Anybody ever heard of him? And he claimed to be the second coming of Christ. By the way, he also claimed to be the Antichrist at the same time. And interestingly enough, people were gullible enough to follow this guy. He had a huge following. It was absolutely crazy. There have been other names you've probably heard of, the David Koresh's of the world, right? And the Jim Joneses who claim to be Christ. Listen, until Jesus comes, there's always going to be rogue people who claim to be him. But Jesus' concern in Matthew 24 is not these lightweight false messiahs that we've seen in the current age that we live in. He's talking about a period of time right before he returns in which there will be unbelievable deception and many will claim to be Jesus himself. And you say, well, why is that? Why are many claiming to be Jesus all of a sudden? Because Jesus is getting less popular in the world that we live in now, right? Why is he going to be so popular all of a sudden? I believe it's because something happened. Just imagine what's going to happen when the church is raptured, right? The world's going to be confused. They're going to be vulnerable. They're going to be searching for answers. And there's going to be many who will come looking to exploit people that will claim that they are Jesus returned. So there's going to be this huge deception that's going to happen. But understand there's going to become one ultimate deceiver who will come that will trump all the others. And he will deceive the whole world with great deception. And he's referred to in the Bible, I've already mentioned his name, the Antichrist. He will come to power, empowered by the devil, and he will deceive the whole world. And the world will buy his deception, hook, line, and sinker. I want to take you to the book of Revelation because this is how the tribulation begins. I'm going to move back and forth from Matthew to Revelation. We're going to go back and forth. And I want you to see, this just goes right in order of what Revelation says, according to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 24. Let me set the scene for you. Revelation chapter 5, the church is seen in heaven. They are worshiping Jesus. They're around the throne worshiping Jesus. And a scroll is brought out with seven seals on it. What it is, is the title deed to the earth. And who can open it? Well, the owner, the one who owns the title deed, and his name is Jesus because he paid for it with his innocent shed blood. And so the scroll was handed to Jesus, and Jesus begins to pop those seals one after another, and judgments begin to flow out onto the earth during the tribulation. Look at the first seal here. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. I watched as the Lamb, talking about Jesus, opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come. I looked, and there before him was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. Who is this rider? Well, he comes on a white horse. That represents 
He comes in the name of peace. He has a bow, represents he has great power to make war. He's given a, a, a crown because he represents many nations, a coalition of nations. And even though he comes in peace, notice he will be bent on conquest. We're talking about the Antichrist here. Do you understand? He is the first judgment of the tribulation to be unleashed on the world. And there's going to be no mistake that, that who this guy is. This isn't some Jim Jones that has a, comp, a compound down somewhere or David Koresh. This is a world leader who's going to be over a coalition of nations who's going to make a treaty with the world saying, I come in peace, but he will break that peace. We're going to talk more about him next week in detail. What I want you to understand is the first sign that Jesus gives that will precede his second coming is worldwide deception. Lots of deception in the world, lots of false Christ, the ultimate deceiver himself, the Antichrist, will arrive on the scene. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 24 as we look at the second sign Jesus said will happen. Let's call this one worldwide dissension. Worldwide dissension. Verse 6, Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now, let me, let me read you something from the Encyclopedia of Wars. It says this, before the time of Christ, historians point out that there were 70 significant wars. In the thousand years after Christ came, the first time there were 50 significant wars. In the next 500 years, from 1000 AD to 1500 AD, there were over 100 wars. In the next 300 years, from 1500 AD to 1800 AD, there were over 250 wars. And in the past 200 years, from 1800 until today, there were over 500 wars. I show you that to let you know that in our modern world, war, war is not getting any better. In fact, war is escalating. In fact, don't you get the feel as you look at the world that it just takes one little, it's going to take one little thing to throw the world in chaos. It's just such an odd point right now in the era that we live in. What I want you to understand this, when the tribulation begins, war around the world is going to explode on a level like the world has never seen in history. You think it's bad now, it's going to get really bad. In fact, Jesus, when he says you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, in the Greek that carries the idea of you will continually hear it everywhere. The whole world's going to be fighting with one another, nation against nation, coalition against coalition. People in their own countries will even be fighting against one another. People in neighborhoods will be fighting with one another. And lots and lots of blood is going to be shed. Let me take you back to Revelation. What was the first seal? It was deception, right? One great deceiver is coming, nay, the Antichrist. Okay, that was the first seal. Here's seal number two. Let's look at it. Revelation chapter six, verse three and four. It says, when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power, watch this, to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Talking about war. Talking about people fighting with one another. Worldwide dissension 
is the second sign of his coming. We're not talking about just a war happening there or a war happening. It's just, it's everywhere. It's covering the entire planet. It's happening everywhere. People are fighting with one another. Now back to Matthew chapter 24. Sign number three, Jesus says, is worldwide devastation. Worldwide devastation. The key to all these points is worldwide. We're not talking about something that's localized. Like a, we're talking about worldwide. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 7. It says, there will be, watch this, famines and earthquakes in various places. Luke, in his account of what Jesus said, put it this way. This is another version of what Jesus said. Luke accounts for it this way. Watch this. He said, Jesus said, there will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places. That could be involving the animal kingdom or disease. And, watch this, fearful events and great signs from heaven. Well, let's go back to Revelation and look at the next couple of seals. Once again, it mirrors what it, you see in Revelation. This is one after another, after another, right in order. Let's, let's go back. Once again, judgments that will be poured out on earth in the tribulation. Verse 5 of chapter 6 of Revelation. It says, when the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was hold, holding a pair of scales in his hands. Why? Because we're talking about financial transaction. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. What are we talking about? We're talking about famine. We're talking about food shortages. Jesus said there would be what? Famines. You can understand why that's going to be in a world that is fighting in chaos. I mean, we see one battle going on right now in Ukraine with Russia, and it's affected the entire planet's global prices. It, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be so bad that you're going to have to, to get two pounds of wheat is going to take a whole day's wages. That isn't going to go very far to feed your family. Food is going to be scarce. You go on to read here on the fourth seal. Look at this. When the lamb opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beast of the earth. Pestilences, right? Didn't Jesus say that in Matthew 24? So understand this, war, famine, plague, and pestilences at this point in the tribulation are going to kill one-fourth of the world's population. Let me, let me do a little bit of math for you to understand this. We're, we're getting close to 8 billion people on this planet. So let's just use 8 billion as a, as a rounded-up number. It's estimated that there are 2 billion Christians on the earth right now. So if you have 2 billion Christians that are raptured, that means you're going to end up with 6 billion people left. What's one-fourth of that? Two billion people are going to be killed. Not million, not thousand, billion, in the, if it would happen today, in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. And Jesus also mentioned, remember back in Matthew 24, he also mentioned the great signs in the heavens taking place? And, or in Luke, in Luke's version of that? And it actually, actually said it in Matthew. 
And, and look what the next, look at the, another seal here. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. Jesus said that was going to happen. Now watch this. The sun became as dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. And so I, I think there's a possibility. What we're talking about here is when you have earthquakes, you understand you have techno, techno, tectonic plates. You have, you have, that's, you have volcanoes and earthquakes and so I, I think what you may have here is you may have the atmosphere just filled with ash. And, and there's, I'm just giving you an idea. We don't know for sure, but I think that that's what we're reading here. And then it says this, then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by strong wind. The sky rose rolled up like a scroll. So what are we talking about? Maybe an asteroid's coming in, into the atmosphere. There are signs that maybe it's a solar storm. There are things happening even in the, the heavens during this time. And it says, and all the mountains and islands were removed from their place. Do you understand how islands and mountains are formed? When tectonic, tectonic plates push, mountains are formed, and when volcanoes erupt, they create islands in the middle of oceans when there was none before. Well, when you have this great earthquakes happening at this period of time, it's going to level the mountains and all the islands are going to go away. You say, how bad are things on earth at this period of time? Revelation chapter 6, verse 15 through 17, watch this. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, all, you got that? Worldwide, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to survive? You know what Jesus says back in Matthew 24? He says, verse 8, all these things are the beginning of what? So the worldwide deception, the worldwide dissension, the worldwide devastation, that's just the beginning. And a lot of people will read what Jesus says in Matthew 24 here, and they say, well, I think these signs are happening now. They're not. Not yet. But the wars... And the rumors of wars and, and all those other things we can see on the horizon. Am I right? So think about it this way. If you want to look at it this way, are these things happening right now? Nope. We're talking about what happens in the seven-year tribulation. But what does Jesus say? These things are going to be like labor, right? Just like a woman, a contraction happens and it gets worse and worse and worse until the baby's born. Well, we're not in the labor. The world is not in labor yet, but you can tell the world's awful pregnant. Amen? Yes. The question we don't know is how pregnant. Jesus says these things are the beginning of birth pangs. So if anybody ever tries to tell you, oh gosh, we're already in the tribulation. No, you're not. You're not. I trust me. You're not. Here's sign number four. Worldwide defection. Now, this may shock you, but there are going to be a lot of people that turned to Jesus at the beginning of the tribulation. People are, are going to be getting saved. You, you say, well, well how, how, how is that? You say, how, 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 how is that going to be? Well, here's my speculation, and I can't be dogmatic about this, but I think they're going to realize that they missed the rapture. 
And you think about an era we live in, I can go to YouTube and watch any kind of video on any kind of subject. What a, what a treasure trove of things that are going to outlast people that are gone. And there are a lot of people who are going to pull that up and go, oh, that crazy preacher was right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so there are going to be people giving their life to Jesus in, in the tribulation. But as the tribulation unfolds, it's going to be very difficult to live for Jesus in this world. And many are going to fall away. You say, why is that? First of all, the events of the tribulation are going to be so awful that it's going to make you want to curse God. Second, persecution. Persecution, listen, Christians have always been persecuted in this world. And in fact, as we get closer to the return of Christ, you're going to get persecuted more and more and more for living with a biblical word set. We see that in our own country happening before our eyes right now. But we're talking about persecution exploding on a whole new level in the tribulation. Look, look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. It says, then, they will, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. So it's no longer going to be popular to identify yourself with Jesus. Well, it was popular at the beginning of the tribulation, but it's not so popular now as it moves on. It says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And that's not saying the one who survives the tribulation. You know what that's saying? The, 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 the person who's willing to suffer for Jesus and be persecuted for Jesus, that's the proof that they really are saved. We, we read about that in Romans. I mean, that, that's the proof that you really, it's one of the proofs that you are saved, that you're willing to endure persecution for Jesus, that you're willing to suffer in order to live for Jesus. Now, let's go back to Revelation because you might have noticed we missed the seal. We missed, missed the fifth seal. And look what the fifth seal is. Okay, and this is happening more and more all throughout this first period of the three and a half years of the first half of the tribulation. Look at this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer. Why? until the full number of their fellow servants. There's more people that need to be saved yet. God, is, God wants more people to be saved. Until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters were killed just as they had been. Worldwide defection. It's going to be harder for, to live for Jesus in that period of time. You don't want to be here. This is why you need to be ready for the rapture. Amen. All right, here's number five, and we'll end with this one this morning. Let's call this one Worldwide Declaration. Worldwide Declaration. Jesus says this, Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached, what does it say? In the whole world, the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So understand, we're not talking about the gospel being preached in this age. Sometimes people misread this and, and say, well, we as a church, we got, until we let everybody in the world know about the gospel, Jesus can't come back. Nope, that's not what this is saying. It's saying that all the gospel will be preached worldwide in the tribulation, and then Jesus comes back. 
That's a misunderstanding of what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 24. As of right now, listen, the gospel is going forth all over the world right now, but the whole world's not hearing it, are they? You're hearing it. Other people like you are going to church and hearing it, but there's other people that don't have a clue about it. It's not happening worldwide. It will happen worldwide in the tribulation is God is going to get the entire world's attention. You say, how is that going to happen? Because look, if the church is raptured at the beginning of the tribulation, who's going to be around to preach the gospel? Well, first of all, the church may have been raptured, but the Holy Spirit's still here. Amen? But God has a plan for this in the tribulation. How will the gospel be preached in the tribulation? Three ways. Number one, by the 144,000. Okay, listen, I got news for you. This is not the Jehovah Witnesses. (laughs) Some of you have a Jehovah Witness background. That's not what we're talking about here. You say, what is that? I'm not going to take the time to read it, but God is going to raise up 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are going to spread the gospel around the world at this period of time. That's number one. Number two, by the two witnesses. You can read about them in Revelation chapter 11, verse 2 through 12. There are going to be two witnesses that come from heaven in Jerusalem. They're going to be given power to to, to dish out judgments. Nobody's going to be able to touch them for a period of time. They're going to be preaching the gospel. All the world's eyes are going to be on them. You say, who are those two witnesses? I believe those two witnesses are the two people in the Old Testament that never died. Who were they? Enoch and Elijah can't be dogmatic about it, but I believe I fall into that camp about that. And the world eventually, God is going to take his protection off them. The world's eventually going to kill them because they don't want to hear it. And they're going to be resurrected right in front of the world and taken up into heaven. And the world's going to be amazed. So the two witnesses, and here's the thing, the length that God goes to save people by angelic proclamation. I do want to read this one to you. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 through 7. This is going to happen in the tribulation. Watch this. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. Everybody's going to hear it. Everybody's going to have a chance to respond to it. He said in a loud voice, can you imagine an angel flying preaching the gospel? We go out of here today and an angel is preaching. I mean, it's just unbelievable flying in the air thinking about it. He'd said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And you say, wow. Say, why why the tribulation? I mean, why doesn't God just come back and just, why go through that period of time? Let me tell you why, grace. God's grace. Look, better for somebody to go through a lot of pain now than be in pain for all of eternity. You understand this as a parent. You turn up the heat on your kids because you want to see life change, don't you? And God in his grace... He's pouring out his judgment and saying, respond, respond. The time's coming when there's not going to be time to respond because there's coming the white throne judgment and God is giving humanity one more opportunity to receive Jesus and find forgiveness of their sins before he puts an end to it. Aren't you thankful for grace? Grace, grace, right? Greater than all our sins. Well, 
that's the first half of the tribulation. You say, oh my gosh, does it get worse than that? Oh my goodness. Wait till you hear about the second half of the tribulation. Now, don't go home depressed because guess what comes after the second half of the tribulation? Jesus is going to come back. We're going to talk about it in two weeks. You don't want to miss that. You're going to be amazed. I, I'm hoping one of the things that I did for you today is, look, the end time stuff, while there's mystery to it, while there's things that we don't know, it's not that complicated. The book of Revelation is not that complicated. Matthew 24 is the center of everything you need to know. And if you start there, everything falls into place and it's very easy to understand. Very easy to understand. What I want you to know is Jesus indeed is coming back. Amen. We'll talk about the second half tribulation next week. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's just say a prayer of thanks to the Lord this morning. Jesus, we come to you this morning and we thank you that you came to this earth and you died for our sin, that we might find salvation in you and we might have eternal life in you. And so, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for dying for us. I thank you for your grace that saves us from all of our sins. And Lord, we look forward to that day when we see you face to face. When you come back for us, Lord, when we're with you for all of eternity. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. In the name of Jesus, we all said together, amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners if they'd come at this time. If you're here this morning and you have never given your heart to Jesus, you have never put your faith in Jesus, most important thing you could ever do. It's how you got to be ready for, for eternity. We'd love to help you with that. Come up here, see one of us, prayer partners. We will lead you into a relationship with Jesus. So if you need Jesus and you've never given your life to him, come up, we'll lead you in that. Or if you need prayer, any area of your life, you say, I need some prayer over this area. We'll be up here ready to pray over you. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you.